A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter one, the worst birthday. Not for the first time, an argument had broken out over breakfast at number four, Privet Drive. Mr. Vernon Dursley had been woken in the early hours of the morning by a loud hooting noise from his nephew Harry's room. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, Chamber of Secrets. Matt, welcome to book two. It's great to be here. It's your turn to tell a story. You are opening book two by telling a story, and the theme is bravery. What is your story? So two years ago, my family and I went to Iceland. Colette's stepdad is an Icelander. And so we went to celebrate his birthday and also to see his family and meet his family and just to get to know this amazing, beautiful country of Iceland. And so we went and spent a week in his cabin in this rugged Icelandic landscape. And it's, I mean, it's like out of a storybook. It's beautiful. There were at least three waterfalls within a five-mile walk of where we lived. There were there was this beautiful river that, where there were salmon, like, swimming. And you could pick wild blueberries in the low bushes along the river. It's a beautiful place. And so we would take lots of just hikes around the cabin and near the cabin. Colette was taking a hike with my son, Danny. And it was on a, not quite a cliff, but a very steep embankment next to a ravine. 
And Danny was sort of carousing with much bravado along the lane, running and going a bit too fast and getting a little bit too far ahead, and his foot slipped. And he almost went over the side of the path, down the ravine, which he would have gotten really seriously injured had he fallen. And he got really scared. And he came back to Colette. And, you know, he held on to her and he just, you know, he said he was scared and Colette comforted him. But the problem was they were already up on this path. He was scared to keep going, but the only thing to do was to go home. He had to keep walking, right? And so with a little bit of coaxing and cajoling and comforting from Colette, he kind of stirred up his spirits and made his way back to the cabin. Now, the reason I brought this up as a story of bravery is there's two senses of the word bravery. I think that this story points to or highlights. The first is that, etymology corner, (laughs) the first is that the word bravery actually derives from an old Latin word, which is also the word we get bravado from. So originally it means just like bold, like bold even to the point of recklessness, right? And so you can imagine Danny in the first part of the trail being recklessly bold, immune to any fears or dangers around him, running too recklessly along this path. And not paying attention to the possibility that he might slip off the path and fall down into this ravine and get hurt, right? But the other sense of bravery, and this is one I want to explore as well, is an idea that I get from a line, a really famous line from Nelson Mandela, who said that bravery is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. And I think about Danny's walk back, which is, you know, there's no way back other than on the path that he's now scared of. And so... His bravery walking back was not about whether he felt scared or not. It was about the fact that he learned how to deal with that fear, meet it head on, and make his way back home because that was the only way to go. I love that kid so much. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Matt, I'm really excited to talk to you about this because this unknown boldness is so interesting to me as whether or not we classify it as bravery. And I feel like your story... Mm -hmm complicates that in a way that I'm really excited about. Okay, Matt, first 30-second recap of book two. It's my turn to go first. Yeah. This was a tricky one. It was kind of, There was a lot of exposition, so yeah. we'll see how you do. We'll see how I'll do. I'll do great. Of course, you always do great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I meant to say we'll see what you do. Thank you. So I can mooch off of it when it's my turn. Okay, fair enough. On your mark, get set, Go. So it's Harry's birthday and no one is remembering and it's so annoying and Hedwig is locked in a cage and even Dudley is like, do you not have any friends? Why haven't you gotten any birthday cards? And there's going to be a big dinner tonight at the Dursleys. Uh, Vernon's boss is coming over or a potential client is coming over. And if they sell it, they're going to go to Majorca next year and have a house there. And Harry's like, they won't even care. And there is a pair of eyes that are watching Harry do housework. And then he goes up to his room and there's a pair, someone on the bed. See, Matt, I told you I'd be great. <laughs> Confirmed. <laughs> so we'll see how great you were after you hear me go. Yeah, I I don't like to compare us because we are a team. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. On your mark, get set, go. So Harry is sitting at the breakfast table, and the Dursleys are obviously very scared of magic because Harry asked uh, uh, Dudley to say the magic word, and everybody freaks out. And there's a lot of exposition in the chapter, and we hear everything that happened in book one. And then uh, we hear that it is Harry's birthday, but but no one remembers, and there's a big dinner tonight, and Harry's supposed to disappear for the big dinner. And he goes out into the, the garden, and he sees a pair of eyes, and he goes back inside and sees uh, some dessert and a, on, on top of the fridge. And then he goes up to his room, and there's a pair of eyes there. I feel like I missed some stuff, but 
Is the dessert just whipped cream and sugared violets? I guess. I don't know. It seems very insubstantial to me. I feel like if you're trying to impress some potential clients, you got to do better than whipped cream and sugared violets. You know? Yeah. Sugared violets are hard to make, but like whipped cream is not. Okay. So Matt, I think that we see a lack of bravery, like really in the first couple of lines of this book. Hedwig has been locked into a cage and I feel like this is the Dursley is not being brave in confronting magic. If they allowed Hedwig to fly, then she wouldn't be as noisy, right? And if they allowed a conversation with Harry about magic, then they would know that he can't actually do magic in the house, right? It's this idea of locking something up we put something away because we're too scared to deal with it, but it just looms larger and larger when we do that. And the brave thing and the hard thing to do is to not put things in cages because then you can't control it, right? Like it's a better strategy. It's better for your heart, but it's also just a better strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think this theme is probably going to come up whenever we talk about the Dursleys, right? But it's just so obvious how the lack of bravery or another way to put that is how their fear is so closely tied to rage, right? I mean, what we're talking about are all these different affects, all these different kind of affective experiences that people have. And then asking the second question, which is, okay, how do those actually bear out as behaviors in the world, right? And with the Dursleys, or at least with Vernon and Petunia in particular, fear bears out as rage. Harry says something at the beginning of this chapter when they're sitting at the breakfast table. Harry just kind of nonchalantly, without any kind of malice of forethought or anything, just says to Dudley, use the magic word, right? But there's so much anxiety in the Dursley home that even the use of this word like causes everybody to whip up into a frenzy, right? And so someone like Vernon is compensating for what he feels like is powerlessness by acting out with like this intense aggression. I disagree with you that this isn't malicious from Harry. I feel like he is intentionally using the word magic and then being like, that's not even what I meant. I don't feel like Harry goes around trying to teach Dudley lessons and expect that to go well. I think that's right. But I actually see something else going on because this is the other thing I wanted to talk about with respect to bravery. It's in the sense of like bravery in the sense of bravado, right? I don't know if I'd say that Harry has bravado in this chapter, but this first chapter is so markedly different from, say, the second chapter of book one, right? Where Harry seems like full of despair in the second chapter of book one. The, these people around him, the Dursleys, have utter control of his life in the second chapter of book one. And you can feel it in the way he thinks about his interactions with them, the way he hopes for you know, an hour to himself in the house, what he longs for, what he hopes for, what he expects of his daily life is all like framed by this like absolute despair. And in book two, chapter one, Harry is much more like irritated, right? Like he's just kind of annoyed by these people. And that's not the same thing as bravery, but he has a different place, right? And so I think on either reading, either yours, where he is in intentionally malicious and then gaslights the family or my reading where he's just kind of indifferent to how sensitive they are to the word magic in either case it signals just like a fundamentally different relationship to these Dursleys like he is not afraid of them anymore and that kind of bravado or that bravery bears out either as you know on your reading malice on my reading indifference to their reactions 
I mean, I think that the malice is completely justified, right? I think like trying to take these moments of power back. I agree with you. There's something just indomitable about his spirit, right? And we saw glimpses of that in book one. I always think about the moment where he teases Petunia. She makes the comment about how she's, you know, it's his clothes and that pail that are being dyed. And he goes, oh, I didn't know my clothes had to be that wet, right? Like there's just something about this kid that, cannot help but be entirely human, no matter what the rest of the world wants him to do. He he really just resists being broken. And I, I also was just thinking about his scar, right? Like just the tension in this house, this magical scar that every time Petunia looks at it, she thinks of her dead sister, but that for Harry, he now knows it's like a talisman of his mother's love for him. Mm. And is a symbol of someone else's courage, right? That somebody else did something deeply, deeply courageous. And just how different these signifiers can be to one another. Like it can be an assault to one person and a complete buoy to the other. Yeah. If you want to develop that sense of bravado or even invincibility, right? Look what happened to Harry at the end of the last book, right? His mother's protective love was so strong, it burned the hands off of a person who was possessed by Voldemort, right? He probably feels fairly self-assured and confident that whatever misery the Dursleys can impose upon him this summer, they can't actually hurt him in any lasting way. Right. Right. Anymore, which is not where he was in book one, chapter two. Right. It is interesting the way that like people in absentia can still make you feel brave. Right. It's not that you have to literally feel like, oh, I have this gang of 10 people behind me who have my back. It psychologically, knowing that you have even just one person can make you so much braver. And so the next thing that happens in the chapter, after we get to some of this setup and exposition and we we learn where Harry is with respect to the Dursleys and how he's developed this kind of boldness, is we learn that the Dursleys have an important dinner tonight, right? And it's not Harry's birthday dinner. It's Vernon trying to make a sale. And he sells drills or drill parts and accessories. Is that right? I don't know. Drills. He works in drills. Yeah. He works in drills. And they're saving up for this trip to Mallorca. To buy a house in Mallorca. To buy a house. They want a vacation place in Mallorca. This concept of bravery or bravado or courage or all these things exists in this matrix of words that includes antonyms like anxiety and fear. And it's, again, like so much of the Dursley's life is structured around fear. Like they're obsessive planning about this visit. Like here is exactly what Dudley's going to say. Here's when he's going to say it. Here's what you're going to do, Harry, is stay in your room and pretend that you're not there, right? And we have to rehearse it over and over again, because if we lose control in any way, then the thing could go off the rails. Then we will not get our house in Mallorca. Then all our fears will be realized, right? It's the opposite of bravado here. Like, the meticulousness of this planning is the opposite of Harry's, either his bravado or his indifference or whatever. Like, they're not just going with the flow or assuming things will work out. They don't feel safe and protected. They actually are are over planning in order to to try to guarantee an outcome that they can't control, as we will learn in chapter two. Yeah, <laughs> and willing to lie in a way that like no one will believe. Right? Dudley is like, I'll tell him that I had to write a hero project for school and that it's about him. I'm like, who yeah. would that line work on? I also just think that if you are willing to lie about stuff like that, you become a less trusting person in the world because you know that everybody else is capable of lying about stuff like that. 
So even though this seems like a fairly harmless kiss up move, it also just speaks to like how willing they are to corrupt themselves and their integrity, right? Yeah. In order to get a house in Majorca that will be empty 50 weeks out of the year. It's very strange. Yeah, what do you think about his trade in in drills? I think we're meant to understand Vernon Dursley as engaged in sort of meaningless sales, right? I mean, people need drills to do work. I'm not saying that drills are an unimportant tool in human history. The inclined plane wrapped around a column is very important for 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 human work, right? But you know, I think we're supposed to get the sense that he doesn't have like a passion for what drills can accomplish. Like this is it's purely instrumental. It's purely transactional. He doesn't care about drills or about construction or craftsmanship or woodworking or anything like that. He cares about getting something out of these wealthy buyers so he can get this vacation home in Mallorca. I mean, there's a subtle kind of like critique of a certain sort of capitalist ethic of attainment and acquisition. But I wanted to know if you think there's anything more specific going on with the idea of drills or or his association with like sort of like the construction industry or something like that. I don't know if this is really about the construction industry, but about his motivation. It's also about being better than other people, right? Like Hmm. he wants the nicest car on the block. He wants the greenest lawn on the block. And so he wants to be the best salesperson. And I I definitely think there's something like stereotypically macho about drills. I don't think that he would be super proud of what he did in the same way if he was selling like shower caps or something that's like coded as femme. For sure. And so there's, right, there's just like something masculine about it. And he wants to be the best, like about dominance of all things. I'm going to lock up the owl. I'm going to lock up the books. I'm going to, you know, sell drills and I'm going to sell the most drills. And it's all very aggressive. Yeah. This is trying to convey like a certain sort of aggro posture and attitude. And like, you're right. I mean, shower caps would not be the thing that he would get boastful about. It has to be it has to be drills, right? Yeah, and I guarantee you that there are more shower caps sold than drills, right? Oh, for sure. But also the text is weird about femininity. Like later mm. we're going to have umbrage in pink. And I, I always think of umbrage as like the wearer of pink in these books. But in this chapter, mm. petunias in pink. And, you know, lavender and parvati are seen as ultra femme and therefore is silly. So there is some like critique of this kind of toxic masculinity, but there also seems to be some weird feelings about femininity that I just find confusing. Like there's sort of this middle ground that Rowling wants us to believe is correct. Yeah. I mean, we could also see it, you know, we've talked before on the podcast about how we want to read Rowling against Rowling, that we want to use the novels to read back against her public kind of expressed transphobic positions and opinions, right? I mean, there might be a way in which we could read these critiques of certain forms of masculinity and femininity as critiques of sort of a narrow definition of what counts as masculine or feminine, right? Uh, I'm not sure that's what's going on, right? And I want to be cautious in that reading. But I, if we do want to use these books to read back against uh, Rowling, which I think we do, I think this might be a place where we might do that, right? She's clearly uncomfortable with a certain kind of toxic masculinity. She's also critical in certain ways of some uh, colors and habits that are gendered as feminine. And um, 
And those kinds of critiques can actually be really useful in, in complicating our notions of what gender is and how it's expressed and what it means for us. Absolutely. I just, I, it makes me defensive because I love pink and I'm yep. like, I think I'm cool, even though I love pink. And it just seems right. Like whenever we're at the Dursleys, it just, right. Like the fat phobia comes back, the like mm-hmm. judging housewives comes back, right. Like Petunia has yep. nothing better to do than to clean and re-clean and re-clean and I think that writing cartoonish characters says so much about the author, right? What it is that they find mockable or a cartoonish point of view. And I certainly think that she like, no pun intended, nails it with Vernon, right? Like this guy who wants to sell the most drills is like a very particular kind of capitalist macho dude. But the other stuff that she's trying to mock, right? Like yeah. Dudley wanting the whole pan of bacon and his yep. butt not fitting on the chair anymore. And Petunia somehow being dismissible because she was in a pink dress. Yeah. Seems less easily traceable to me. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. To return to our topic of bravery, there is one moment I've been talking about how Harry in the Dursley's home seems to have this new kind of relationship to them such that he's not terrified all the time of how they can harm him or how miserable they can make him. But that doesn't mean he's not scared, right? We're told in this chapter, shortly after the scene we've been talking about, that he still routinely wakes up in the middle of the night, drenched in a cold sweat, wondering where Voldemort is. Like, he he knows, based upon his conversation with with Dumbledore and also just his experience, that that although he survived this encounter with Voldemort, Voldemort has not been vanquished, right? Which means he knows it's not over. So... He's still scared, right? There's still there's still fear in him. And that's maybe where we start to transition to the other definition of bravery, right? What does it mean to be in a world where this incredibly powerful evil force, which is dead set upon killing you, like what does it mean to be in that world and to live with that as part of your a part of how you understand your way in the world? Yeah. I mean, and on a micro level, you see that reflected when Petunia tries to hit him with the frying pan, right? Mm. Like he I If somebody tried to hit me with a frying pan, it would ruin my day, regardless of whether or not they succeeded. And he just bounces back. And I don't know if that is bravery, right? It's like, I'm just going to keep going with all my bravado. And like, no matter what the world tells me, I'm going to just keep going. Yeah. I mean, again, like this idea of bravery as like the sort of willingness to face the risky, maybe even indifferent to the risks before you, like it's related to these other terms I think you're pointing towards, like resilience or persistence. Like these are, they're related traits. Like in order to be brave in that way, you probably need to be persistent because when you almost fall off the trail on the embankment, you got to get back on it and keep going. Like that's going to demand resilience and persistence of you. And whether that comes from inside you, which seems like it's so often the case with Harry, or if it comes out from outside of you, like Danny's mom or as in many cases in these books, Harry or Hermione or Dumbledore or others or Sirius, right? Um, that to be brave, you need those other kinds of attributes and those relationships. Yeah. I mean, so the relationship that we sort of start to get introduced to at the end of this chapter is Dobby. We only meet him in these brief moments. His huge eyes are staring back at Harry. And, you know, at the end of the chapter, Dobby is going to be on Harry's bed. And I think that we can all agree that like Dobby is engaged in a great act of courage, right? Like he is 
breaking the law and he is going to have to punish himself again and again for what he's doing within the like dynamic of the wizarding world. And I think that for Dobby, it is about clarity of purpose. And I I do think that clarity of purpose is something that can often assist me in being braver. If I know exactly what I'm doing and what I'm doing it for, I am quite willing to like, quote unquote, be brave. But if it feels like the right thing to do, but I'm not sure if it's going to make the difference, if I'm not sure how it's going to impact, then I just feel so much less motivated to, you know, step up and have any bravado. Yeah. I mean, soup to nuts, I think Dobby is the bravest character in these books, right? But I think what you say is exactly true about, like, clarifying the stakes. If when you know what's at stake, then the risks come into relief really clearly, right? Like, if let's imagine, you know, it, it's making my heart palpitate to think about it. Let's imagine Danny goes over that cliff, right? I have no doubt Colette jumps over after him immediately, which is probably not the smartest thing to do. Right. It's maybe reckless, but that is like, oh, these are the stakes? Okay, all risks out the window. I have to save this child, right? And in this book and also at the end of the series, like, this is what Dobby is doing for Harry. Like, oh, Harry's in trouble? Then I have to. There's just no other option. Right. And so you find the bravado, you find the courage, you find the bravery and just do what's what you think is necessary, even if it is reckless or or even unwise. Yeah. And whether or not Dobby's faith in Harry is misplaced, you know, we can argue about another time. But like you could see just as fairly reasonably Dobby being this attached to Dumbledore instead of Harry, you know, or this attached to the idea of defeating Voldemort. But instead he picks this kid, which I also just think is such a beautiful commitment of picking the 12-year-old rather than the proven old man, right? There's just something so deeply sweet about what it is that Dobby chooses to believe in. Yeah. I mean, I think we want to confirm, again, this idea of recklessness and bravado as part of bravery because the brave action isn't always the wise one. Yeah. As you probably know, Vanessa, there's been like these rash of drownings this summer in Massachusetts. And I was reading in the Boston Globe about them. And one of the things that this kind of public health expert said was like, you know, often victims of drowning are people who are trying to rescue someone else who's drowning. But the other person is drowning is flailing around that the person who's trying to rescue them gets injured. And then both people end up drowning, right? Like the necessary thing in the moment is not always the wisest or the safest thing. But that doesn't make the impulse any different, which is why it's an act of bravery and bravado. It's because you feel in the moment there's nothing else you can do, which I think you're right, is what Dobby is doing here. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful 
wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, pros is made for people. Not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. So, Matt, we are going to do Pardis again, which I'm very excited about. We need a random sentence. Can you pick one for us? I'm flipping through the book. I'm flipping through the book. Here we go. Harry, on the other hand, was small and skinny, with brilliant green eyes and jet black hair that was always untidy. Uh, I love this sentence because there's so much in it. So shot the intended meaning of the sentence. Matt, I would argue that there are two meanings of the sentence. One is the description of Harry, right, as having untidy hair and green eyes and being skinny. But the other is that if Harry is good, Dursleys are bad and they care too much about being tidy and are fat. And, you know, Petunia's not fat, but like it's thin in an annoying way somehow. And so... Even though Harry, it's just a description, I also do feel like there's some moralizing in here as well. Am I reading too much into it? No, I mean, since we know already that Harry's the hero of our story, and we know that the Dursleys are, I mean, not strictly speaking his greatest enemy, that's Voldemort, but also people who are obstacles to him, you know, realizing his own heroism or whatever. Yeah, like I think that in all these ways that he is distinguished from the Dursleys, including the fact that he's untidy, right? The implication is that if you are take great care about your appearance as maybe petunia does or whatever right then there's something wrong with you that's a moral failing yeah so i think you're right it's not just a description or i think this is just a signal to one of the things that we want to pay attention to in all of our readings this go around not just our sacred readings right which is that there is no description which is just description right every description operates within a matrix of meanings and we have to think about what is implied by those meanings and i think you're absolutely right it's not just telling us what color his hair is. It's also telling us something about what it means to be the kind of person who has hair like that. Yeah. I mean, the other implication, of course, is that Harry is so skinny because the Drizzlies don't feed him enough, right? We find out later in the chapter that he just gets a couple of pieces of bread and a small piece of cheese for dinner. And right, like there are several things going on. He has green eyes like his mother, right? Like there are all sorts of things in this description. But I, yeah, I absolutely think part of it is 
We see like Vernon's going to pick up the dry cleaning for his and Dudley's matching dinner jackets or whatever earlier in this chapter. And like that is caring too much. Rather be untidy. Right. I mean, according to the narrative. Yes. Right. 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 Okay. So step two, Matt, is remez where we pick one of the words and we try to track it a little bit throughout the book. So can you read the sentence one more time? Harry, on the other hand, was small and skinny, with brilliant green eyes and jet black hair that was always untidy. There's the idea of the green eyes. That points not only to Lily, but also to Dobby, whose eyes we learn later in this chapter are also green. And the idea of jet black hair, I mean, I think of Snape's hair there, right? And so we have like these lineages or these connections between Harry and other characters in the book, especially like these super important characters from the previous generation, Lily and and Severus Snape. Yeah. I mean, it also, right, the green eyes shows that he's like not a Dursley. I mean, the fact that you called out the black hair being like Snape, are you trying to hint that Harry's Snape's love child? I mean, we also know that James has the same unkempt, untidy hair. But that's a style choice. That's Harry. Maybe he is. Maybe he is. Okay, Matt, so the color green also comes up with the mandrakes, who are going to be like this healing thing later. They're purplish green. A jet of green light is going to come out of Ron's wand because it's broken. I think the Avada Kedavra curse is always green or at least greenish blue. Isn't that right? Oh, my God. Do you know what's just occurring to me? Do you know what else is green, Matt? Slytherin. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Slytherin. Green is a super meaningful color in these books. Okay, so next up is Drosh, where we talk about what sermon we would preach on this piece of text. So the piece of text is, Harry, on the other hand, was small and skinny, with brilliant green eyes, jet black hair that was always untidy. I think I would talk about how useless comparison is, which is right, like you always preach the sermon that you need to hear, but Right, this like phrase, the on the other hand, Harry on the other hand was small and skinny. Like, it so rarely does any good to compare people. I mean, I think, can I elaborate? Yeah. These adjectives like small and skinny are comparative adjectives, right? They're they're relative ones. Smallness and skinniness is always relative to something else, right? And I think part of what Rowling's doing here is not just setting Harry up against Dudley as virtuous, I think she's also trying to say, as we see in a lot of like traditional stories, that that which doesn't necessarily at first glance appear to be the big heroic thing you're expecting can still be the big heroic thing that the world needs, right? And so even though Terry is a 12-year-old boy who is small and skinny and has unkempt hair, he's actually one of the most brave and resilient and persistent and selfless characters in these books, right? And that his appearance doesn't necessarily give us a clear window into the force of his character. Yeah, and the thing I think I would extend is just that I even think it's unhelpful to compare ourselves to other versions of ourselves. I find myself doing that, right? Like, I'm slowing down and, like, not physically capable of doing the things I could do in my late 20s, early 30s. And I will, like, make myself sick 
trying to do something I used to be able to Mm. do. I'm like, well, I used to be able to run an eight minute mile and that was me and my body. And it's like, I don't know why I'm trying to compare my current self to even my past self, right? It's just never, it's like never a useful move. To use the example of yourself, or I'll say like myself, right? Like sometimes I I could unfavorably compare myself to a past self who could run an eight-minute mile, right? I can't do that anymore, right? But if I imagine that person who could, then I can also compare some other things about that person. And there's (laughs) lots of things I like better about me now than that person back then, right? And so I think comparison can be useful as long as you're willing to tell the whole story. Yeah, right. that's helpful. At least when talking about yourself. I think it always gets tricky when you're comparing yourself to others or, or certain people to other people. Because it's hard not to diminish or dehumanize one at the expense of the other. But when you're trying to dehumanize or diminish yourself at the expense of yourself, it's just useful to to think about the full picture, maybe. Right. Pan out a little bit. Okay, Matt. So sewed, which means secret. Let's read the sentence one more time, if you don't mind. And we'll see if a secret emerges for us. Harry, on the other hand, was small and skinny, with brilliant green eyes and jet black hair that was always untidy. Matt, the thing that I do think is interesting is that, to your point, like, Harry is unassuming in all of these ways. He's small and skinny, right? But he also is exceptional, right? He has brilliant green eyes and jet black hair, right? There is something remarkable about him. Like, that is a very striking look. And he has this scar on his forehead and, you know, these round glasses. He's a very a kid that you would be able to pick out of a crowd quite easily. And so I think the soda is right, like the specialness of Harry and the lack of specialness of Harry. You know, he's just this like skinny 12-year-old, but he's also like brilliant and stark. Like that's the beauty of all kids, right? Like there are moments where they're just kids and then there are moments where it's like, oh my God, you are so beautiful in all of your particularity. Yeah. I'm really struck by this color green thing that we see running through the novels. Not only his eyes, not only the Avada Kedavra spell, not only Dobby's eyes, not only Lily's eyes, but Slytherin also. Like, is there some secret operating here just about the power of magic? And like it, you know, Lily's green eyes and Lily has the power to to protect him through her love and Dobby's green eyes. And we know that Dobby is going to have that power in a very similar fashion by the end of this these novels, right? And Slytherin is this incredibly powerful house because the most powerful wizard who shoots out killing curses that have the same color. There is something magical about this green, which is sort of amoral, not immoral, but amoral. Like it's a sign of great power, whether for good or for evil. And it's operating in all these places. And it just seems like there's something, yeah, there's some magical, mystical thing going on with the color green in these, in these novels. Now is the time to remember the friends and family of those in our community who have been lost to COVID-19. John and Mary McCloskey, ages 88 and 86, married for more than 60 years. Martin Felt, 69, a father, friend of many, and our pappy. Peggy Lee, 71, Matriarch, mission mom, and pianist.
Peter Kurtz, 76, father of two who loved classical music and the California coast. Wayne Arnett, 74, a grandpa, a father, and a husband. Joe Brost, 69, a loving father, mentor, and carpenter. Let light perpetual shine upon them. This week's voicemail is from Hannah. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. My name is Hannah, and today I just wanted to offer a blessing for Matt. Yes, you, Matt Potts. Um, I just wanted to gently remind you that um, we all are holding loving space for you while you do your 30-second recap. Every week I listen, and I'm excited to hear what you guys um, have to offer in your perspective, and I just sense Matt's anxiety is still there about what us listeners think and his performance during the 30-second recap. And I just wanted to offer a blessing for you to just be able to release that anxiety and just know that we are all here listening because we love your perspective and we want to hear what you have to say. And the recap is helpful to refresh us on what happened in the chapter, especially if we're not following along. But really, there's nothing you can do or say in those 30 seconds that would um, that would make us disappointed. Um, you know... We we love to hear the recap and know what's happening, but at the same time, if it takes you 45 seconds, we are all holding loving space for as long as you need. So, Matt, if you would just take a deep breath with me and then hold it, just knowing that while you hold your breath during those 30 seconds, we are holding loving space for you. And then just release all of that anxiety that you may still carry about performance during that. And just blessings to you, Matt, stepping into some big shoes. I know that people have offered that blessing for you before, but it's continuing um, even now. So yeah, blessings to you. <laughs> You're doing a great job. All right. Bye all. Have a great day. Hannah, your voicemail is so generous and I I'm so delighted by it. I just would like you to know that Matt, in every other part of his life, however many seconds there are in a week, he spends 30 of them uncomfortable, but the rest of them insufferably confident. <laughs> I think that's not true. I think I think there are lots of spaces in which I feel confident. You know that in social situations, you have saved me from social situations where I did not feel confident. I, social situations I tend to avoid. So you're right, not most weeks. Yeah. I feel like usually you're fine. Yeah. Vanessa, it's time to bless now. Who are you going to bless from this chapter? I want to bless Dobby. Every time I read Dobby in book two, chapter two, he annoys me so much. And I know he's a victim. And I, and I come to love Dobby every single time. So I don't know if this is a blessing for Dobby or a blessing for myself. I want to try to read this next chapter without finding Dobby annoying. He is so brave and he's so good. And he's sitting here doing recon and like waiting for Harry. And I love him even though he's a, he's just about to really annoy me. A blessing for the innocent victims who happen to annoy me. It's not you, it's me. What about you, Matt? Who would you like to bless? 
I would like to bless Petunia. There's this line that Vernon throws out from this chapter where he says to Harry, you stay out of your aunt's way while she's cleaning. And it just made me think of all the unrecognized, unacknowledged, and uncompensated labor uh, performed by women for the sake of men and all those men's aspirations and plans and so forth. And there's just something about how quickly and thoughtlessly this line comes out of Vernon's mouth and also how quickly and thoughtlessly the narrative passes it by that we just know that Petunia is working all day to try to make this dinner go right. And the only acknowledgement she gets all day is Vernon telling Harry to stay out of her way. So I want to bless Petunia and I just want to bless women for quote unquote women's work and all the work they do. Thank you. So Matt, you and I don't even have to pick a theme this week because we have a very special guest, John Green, next week. And he is going to be telling a story through the theme of health. So that is what we will be reading chapter two through. This has been Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. And if you're not a patron, you recently missed a conversation about why dragons should be declassified as magical creatures. So go check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. And don't miss other essential listening. We're a Not Sorry production, a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and we are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong, and our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. We are distributed by Acast. A special thanks this week to Hannah, who left such a kind and thoughtful voicemail in support of me and my perpetual struggles with 30-second recaps. Special thanks also to Lara Glass, Emma Smith, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Takayle, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones lost to COVID. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. We should have matching dinner jackets for our live shows. (laughs) I would do that in a second. So don't (laughs) joke. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 